1: Hey, what's going on? It's Billy Hallowell. Welcome to the Pure Flix podcast. We have an exciting show for you today. If you're new here, this is our weekly podcast where we have interviews with your favorite pastors and celebrities, insight, inspiration, and a preview of what's to come in faith and family-friendly entertainment. Today, we've got an interview with Ben... Corson. He is a pastor and author. He has a new book called Optimisfits Igniting a Fierce Rebellion Against Hopelessness. Ben's story is incredible. We actually hit it off really well. He's a a great guy, really interesting perspective on Scripture and life. He's optimistic. I mean, that's why the book is called Optimisfits. He has an incredible perspective. Now, Ben has faced depression, difficulties, near suicide. His story really offers us hope. Any of us who struggle in it, at different points in our lives, we all do. What he has to say is worth listening to. So we're going to invite Ben to the show right now. Hey, Ben, how's it going today?
2: So good. I'm so glad we become friends. We were just talking on the phone for a few minutes before this interview. And I'm like, so pumped to have made a new New York friend. I know.
1: I feel like we, we're going to be like best friends. We, we had this great conversation. I, I love it. And, you know, it's and we were just talking about this. And I think it's it's fine. We'll launch talking about it here. But just like this notion of finding community of people, you know, who are believers around the country and how cool it is that we're able to do that with social media.
2: Yeah. I mean, we've already been talking for 15 minutes and we were already just rejoicing (laughs) and how God's so good to make these friendships happen. Like, I really believe that your vibe determines your tribe. And if you, if you want it, like, if you want to go fast, you should go alone as the African proverb says, but if you want to go far, you should go together. So um, like, I I don't know. I always like to encourage people that the way not to to give up is to squat up, you know, and, and adventures with God adventures with squad is really the vibe because I think even in our generation, there's so much solitude going on, public isolation through social media, oh, yeah. when God has called us to, sol- to solidarity, not isolation, but infiltration. So, Yeah, this is super cool.
1: Well, and it's crazy because you end up having these little silos, you know, these thought silos where it's like, well, I'm only going to talk to the people who agree with me over here. And the crazy thing, as we're sitting here kind of talking about, oh, it's great, we can make connection. It is good to find your own sort of tribe and your own group, but, you know, being able to communicate with others and being able to reach other people, that is something that social media should be able to give us the ability to do, especially as believers, but yet, it seems like, and I wanted to get your take on this, but it seems like sometimes social media has the opposite effect. And w- why do you think that is?
2: Well, the thing that, that's very important like that for, to me that I want to relay to other people with social media is social media is like every other form of technology in that it expands upon already present human capacities. So like, like watch this. If you take a microphone, and you, um, and, and you look at that invention, the microphone wasn't like inventing the human voice. It just made it louder. Mm. If you look at a car, like Henry Ford's technology of the automobile, a car didn't invent motion or locomotion. It just makes you go faster. So to social media, it didn't invent connection. It just made us more connected. So the problem is, is if you turn up the volume too loud on technology – It collapses in on itself and destroys the very thing it was intended to create, expanding upon those already present human capacities. So what I mean is this. If you turn up a microphone too loud, it actually becomes harder to hear the human voice because you'll get the ringing of feedback. Or if you, like, turn up cars too loud and you have too many cars, you get rush hour traffic in L.A. at 5 p.m. and you can actually walk faster than you can drive. The same is true with social media. Like, social media, it connects us. It didn't invent connection. It just expands upon the already present human capacity of connection. But if you turn up the volume too loud, it destroys the very thing it was intended to create, collapses in on itself, and the connection turns into comparison. And we start to compare each other. And it actually, so far from joining us, leaves us in a place of public isolation. So I always like to say we should use social media, not just to impress people, but to, first and foremost, impact people, and that's when we have it in its right place.
1: Well, and it's interesting because we have the most tools ever in in human history to be connected, to reach other people, and yet the rates of loneliness, anxiety, depression, suicide are through the roof and increasing. And obviously, there's a lot going on in culture right now. Uh, but when you, when you look at all of this, I think some of the, the most helpful things you can do are to talk to people who have been through struggles. And you have a book out, a new book called Optimist Fits, and I want to talk about that. But, but as we work towards that, uh, you have struggled with depression in the past. You have gone through all of these things. Take us through your experience and, and how you were able to push through.
2: Well yeah, like you said, our generation is very depressed. You were talking about the statistics being through the roof. I mean, there are 123 suicides a day in America oh, alone. Man. I mean, people commit suicide once every 40 seconds globally. Nationally, the suicide rate has increased by 25%. I mean, it's one of the top 10 leading causes of death, and I actually read recently that there are more homicides in America than or there are more suicides, pardon me, than homicides. So like people are afraid of Ted Bundy-like serial killers, but you're more a danger to yourself statistically. Um, And so just because, like, you know, we consume more pills due to anxiety and depression as Americans than the rest of the earth combined by three times over, depression is a national epidemic. And uh, for me personally, I went through 10 years of chronic depression. I was suicidal. I took up a knife to kill myself. Um, But one of the main things, honestly, and this is going to sound pretty simple, but it's simplicity after complexity, as it were, one of the main things that God used to, to get me out of depression was this verse. Uh, it's a very famous verse, Psalm 37, 4. It says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Mm. So I'm gonna speak a metaphor about this. Like, you will have your nightmares and you will have your dreams, but you will overcome your nightmares because of your dreams. And when you realize that your nightmares are 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 preparatory for your dreams, then suddenly you can be strong when everything's going wrong. And and when I held on to the power of my God-given dream, which was really to spread hope to the world, that, that, that like was fuel that kept me going. So like when we hold on to the promises of God, even amidst our problems, then the situations that are painful actually become pain fuel and drive us toward our destiny.
1: What That's powerful. I mean, that is really powerful, and I appreciate you sharing that verse, too, because sometimes it is the simple things that guide us through. But you mentioned you know, taking up a knife— and considering ending your life, what was it in that moment that stopped you?
2: Um, well, actually, I wrote about this in Optimist Fits, but Sylvia Plath talked about it in the bell jar. She was about to slit her wrist, actually. And she said right when she was going to put the, the razor blade to her wrist, she said when she was looking at the thin blue vein pulsing beneath the skin, she realized that the problem was far deeper and a whole lot harder to get at than that which was just beneath the surface of her skin. And for me, I realized that ending my life was not going to solve the problem. Um, It was only going to exacerbate it to the point where, like, if you have talked to, if you, like, read those studies of people who've jumped off bridges and survived their Mm. suicide attempts, they they always say they wish they had never attempted it, and they're so glad they didn't succeed in their suicide attempt. So I knew deep down that... um, you know, not being all treble, no base, like not just skimming off the tops, plumbing the deeps. I knew like in the depths of my soul, that suicide was not the answer. And that, that, that God was going to not just put a bandaid on my gaping wound metaphorically, but he was going to perform heart surgery. And only he is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, who applies healing, ba- the healing balm of Gilead to our wounds. And so again, I, I believe that even in the darkest moment, there might still be a chance that there is hope ahead and light ahead and promises ahead and dreams ahead. And sure enough, God, God proved that was true.
1: Wow. And you know, for, for you moving forward from there, because now, I mean, in talking with you and we talked before this interview, obviously we're talking now, you are, you are almost, I mean, like the, the joy in you, I'm trying to figure out how to word it because it's, it's incredible is just contagious. You can sense it, you can feel it. Um, How did you get to that place in your life where the general sense of who you are and what you believe and how you exhibit that is so overpoweringly amazing and makes you feel so good just talking with you? How did you get there in your life?
2: Well, the interesting thing is um, I'm like a, a, a seven wing on the Enneagram, which is all about fun and sun. And, like, if, if you knew my mom, she, like, dines on Pegasus Steak and eats rainbow sandwiches for lunch. Like, she's <laughs> she always has the windows open, the the candles lit. She's always finding the best in a situation without winking at suffering, you know. Um, and and I've always been, like, a professional fun haver who wanted to live for a living. And, like, I, the 40-40-40 the never appealed to me, you know, working for 40 hours a week. For 40 years to retire and 40% of your income, get your 401k, 2.5 kids, dog name spot, white picket feds, you know, like timeshare in Palm Springs, toll around in a golf cart, claim my spot in the cemetery after the American dream. Like that, that lifestyle, as fine as it might be for some people, for me, it just never appealed to me. Like I wanted to live the adventure with God and squad. And so like I just realized – and I actually saw this in a Jim Carrey interview on his depression – he said, My depression came when I tried to present an image to the world that wasn't who I truly was. And and like I stopped trying to be this super serious, somber, sober saint who was like had all this gravitas. toss. And like, that's just not who I am. I I, I like to be a professional fun haver So when I finally stopped apologizing for not being what other people expected. And I just said, people are not my dictionary. They don't define me. And I brazenly chose to be who God made me to be. That's when the joy really started coming out because it's a lot more fun when you're true to you and who God made you to be.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, that's incredible. Now, when you experienced this depression, had you already been a Christian? I'm just curious about when, when faith came into your life, was it before that? So you, you were experiencing, that's important because other people are facing the same thing who are Christians.
2: Yeah, and, and we got to destigmatize the taboo of depression. But we also have to, like, not go the other way to where we say, well, it's, it's really hipster and in vogue for Christians to live with depression. I hate that phrase, like, live with depression. We're supposed to defeat depression. Like, the psalmist didn't say, why are you cast down on oh, my soul? Keep at it. He said, why are you cast down on oh, my soul? Hope in God. Like, why would we settle for living with depression? And I went through 10 years of chronic depression. Like, we were called to defeat it, to fight it. To fight for what we don't feel, to count it all joy, um, to go on the journey of hope, and 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 realize that Antonio Damasio, a neuroscientist, said that our feelings decide for us ninety-five percent of the time. So our feelings are not always a proper gauge or compass. Um, but but yes, to answer your question full circle, I was two years old when I came to faith. So like I'm a pastor's kid. So and I've been I've been like doing my best to walk with the Lord my entire life. So. Again, like Elijah was moody. I mean, he, he was suicidal in his cave. David uh, had to encourage himself in the Lord because he struggled struggled with mania and depression. Um, and so, Job said, "I abhor myself. I curse the day I was born." Abraham said, "I'm but dust and ashes." Like uh, He man wrote Psalm eighty eight, the darkest chapter in the Bible, when he was going through the St. John the Cross dark night of the soul. So, yeah, like if you're a Christian and you go through depression. Uh, You're in a you're you're in a great succession, like even C.H. Spurgeon, the great preacher in the 19th uh, century in London, like he called it the preacher's feigning fits. Depression is no stranger to people walking with the Lord.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I and I think that there we, we tend to whitewash the Bible sometimes. And I've learned this more so obviously reading through the Bible, but when you have kids and you start trying to tell Bible stories to kids, <laughs> you realize that you have to whitewash it for kids. But but you realize that we kinda of do that unfortunately with adults too. And we don't look at the complexities of care of the characters, and I hate to use that word because they were real people, but the people in the Bible, we don't we don't look at them like we would look at other humans. Meanwhile, they are basically some of the most broken people you could imagine. And that's powerful to me. It speaks to the truth of the Bible and in seeing that. And and so I think there's a lot we can we can glean from that and take away from that, especially when it comes to struggles like depression and trying to overcome loneliness and anxiety. Uh, now we we're riding out to the end of our Of our time here, and I want to just ask you two more questions. One would be, when you look at this generation, what what is it that you see on the positive and the negative?
2: Uh, The negative is depression is rocking our generation. The sociological data and research shows us that we Gen Z, Gen Y, Millennials, Post Millennials, Centennials are the number one most depressed generation on record in history. Um, Like like antidepressants are the best selling pharmaceutical in in our nation today so that's our greatest weakness um but ironically the double-edged sword is it's our greatest strength is hope because like our i think our generation is finally waking up to the fact that we're so depressed that we're seeing a lot of like hope warriors like joyful soldiers heroic stoics who are like rising up and fighting this thing so while depression is running rampant you also see like with every action, there's a reaction and the reaction of hope to fight these statistics is also, I feel like our greatest strength. So it's fun watching like centennials getting so excited to like fight for hope and healing in our generation.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's incredible. And then the last thing I would ask you, and I want to have you back on the show again, because there's so much more <laughs> that we could talk oh, about. Yeah,
2: I, I feel like we're just like scratching.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I feel like we could do a three hour, you know, conversation here, but Oh, but easy. what are you hoping people take away from Optimist Misfits? And we're going to make sure we link out to the book so people can grab copies. But what's your, what's your big hope?
2: Yeah, that they would live as optimistic misfits and not conform to this culture of depression. That they would live as nonconformist adventurers with wild, abandoned childlike wonder and unapologetic Jesus joy to ignite a fierce rebellion against hopelessness. That's what Optimist Fits is all about.
1: Very good. Very, very good. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. We got to have you back soon.
2: I had a blast. Let's do it again. You're amazing. And I can't wait till next time.
1: Same here. Thanks, man. That was incredible. Really enjoyed hearing Ben's story. I could have talked to him for another hour. There was so much I wanted to ask him, but I think it leaves us with a lot of questions about our own lives, about the lives of others, stepping up to help people who are facing desperation, loneliness, and depression. And so Ben's really encouraging for us to do that and also to consider our own stories, that we have a place to turn, that we can turn to God, to church, to others who can guide us and help us when we find ourselves in those difficult places, that we can overcome and move through. Now, I wanted to talk with you a little bit about the value of life. Uh, There's some really fascinating Bible verses that speak to this discussion that we're having right now in this country about God's purpose, God's role, the meaning of life, when life begins, and I just wanted to share three scriptures, and one of them that really stands out to me, Psalm 139, 13 through 16. I'm just going to read this scripture in the NIV. It reads... For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. When we talk about value and the, p- the value of people, that is incredible. Those three, verses, they really force us to focus on the fact that God created us in our mother's wombs, that our days were ordained before they were written, before they were written in his book, before they came to be. That is an incredible encouragement to any of us who wonder what our purpose is, that we can seek God to find that purpose, that God had a purpose for us before we were ever born. That is powerful. We also have Jeremiah 1.5 before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appoint you as a prophet to the nations. Now that's speaking specifically to Jeremiah there, but the power in that is that God knows us before we are born, that he crafts us, that he appoints us to purpose before we ever enter into this world. And I also want to read Job thirty-one fifteen. Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form us both within our mothers? Again, this notion of God as the creator, the reality that he forms us in our mothers' wombs. There's a lot to think about there when it comes to purpose, when you feel like you don't have a purpose, when you're questioning when life begins. I think the answer is pretty clear. I think it's in Scripture there. And so I wanted to share those verses as an encouragement to anyone who might be listening today. Lots to digest and think about there. We will be back in a moment with more
0: of the Pure Flicks podcast. We'll be right back with more of the Pure Flicks podcast. Did you know you can access thousands of entertaining and inspiring faith and family friendly TV shows, movies and original series? It's simple, just log on to pureflix.com right now to start your free one month trial. From kids content to some of the most uplifting films, we've got your entire family covered. Sign up today. And we're back with more of the Pure Flicks Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Pure Flix Podcast. I'm Billy Hollowell. Now, I'm going to transition to talk a little bit about this new film, Seven Reasons, that is streaming on PureFlix.com. This is a movie from Ray Comfort. He's an apologist and a filmmaker, and it really challenges viewers to think deeper about life through a series of discussions that Ray has with people who support abortion. And you get a chance to see him interacting with these individuals, asking fascinating questions about life and where they stand and why they stand where they do. And the incredible thing about this is you start to see people's positions change as a result of the questions he's asking them. This movie, again, it's called Seven Reasons. It is streaming right now on PureFlix.com. You can go to PureFlix.com to watch it. But we also had Ray Comfort on our talk show, Pure Talk, and I had a chance to sit down with him and ask a little bit more about this series. You can watch that over on our Facebook page starting on May 12th. You'll be able to watch the interview with Ray Comfort. That's Facebook.com slash pure flicks but in the meantime we wanted to play a clip from that interview so you can hear a little bit more about what you can expect from seven reasons let's roll that clip
3: why did you why did you make this film it was birthed out of necessity actually when i realized what was happening with uh, abortions being considered after the baby's born I was horrified. I thought it would never come to this, and it's happened so quickly. There's always been the facade as it's not really a baby. Well now it's really a baby, and we want to kill it for convenience sake. And so I started going to a local college, to universities, and people on the street, and say, give me a reason for abortion. Tell me a justifiable reason for abortion. And I found that uh, there are seven reasons most people choose abortion. And each one is easily dismantled if you appeal to someone's conscience and even their intellect. So many of today's uh, young people haven't got a clue what's entailed in an abortion. They don't know. You know, one person says, oh, you take a pill or something like that. It just washes away. And I said, no. They crush the head. They rip the arms and legs off. And I found people would say, no, I don't believe this, and change their minds about abortion. I think the power of the film is the appeal to the conscience. God is written his, the work of the law upon our hearts. Every one of us. There's no atheistic tribes. The Incas, the Aborigines, everybody has a, an inbuilt knowledge of God. They worship a totem pole, an idol, or whatever, and they all have a conscience. God hasn't left anyone without moral light. And if you can learn to do what Jesus did and appeal to that moral light, that can change the mind, that changes the vote, that changes the country.
1: Well, and the one thing that's interesting while I was watching Seven Reasons and watching the reactions from people when you go and you ask you go through these seven reasons, you start to ask them the questions is that they're being confronted with information and what dawned on me and I've known this, but actually seeing it happen is that there are a lot of people who don't have information. They don't know what this issue is because they're they've just never been told. And we found a really tragically unique way in our culture of taking something, removing the real meaning of it, slapping a new label on it, and just kind of throwing it out there. And so when you're confronting them with the details, they seem, many of them, shocked. Like you're saying, no, this isn't how it happens. And so this, this, I think, numbness to reality, Mm. you've confronted this a lot, but does it ever surprise you still?
3: Yeah, it does. It really surprises me. the, the, the conscience is like an impartial judge on the courtroom of the mind. A person's conscience will speak against what they want to do, makes them feel guilty, drives people to drink, drives some to suicide. So that conscience is like an ally right in the heart of the enemy. And it never fails to surprise me that this person who is hardened suddenly becomes harmonious with what you're saying because of that conscience right in their heart that overrides their will, so to speak, and says, no, this is wrong, you shall not kill.
1: You've got to check that out, Seven Reasons over on PureFlix.com, a really fascinating film that challenges all of us to think deeper about the meaning of life. Now, that's all for the show today. You can tune in next time for another episode of the PureFlix podcast. For those of you, though, who are looking for daily inspiration, be sure to go over to our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash PureFlix. Be sure to also go to PureFlix.com to catch some of the best entertainment, faith and family-friendly films, TV shows, documentaries. And original programming, you can do that today and get a 30-day free trial. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.
0: That's all for today's podcast. You can follow PureFlix on Facebook at facebook.com/pureflix and on Twitter at pureflix. And be sure to log on today to pureflix.com for your free month of access to thousands of faith and family-friendly movies and TV shows. Thanks for listening to the Pure Flix podcast.